0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Children ages 4 and 5 can be dismissed to the right-hand side of the sanctuary. And if you would, take your copy of God's Word and open to the book of Jude, this little letter of Jude. I told you last week it's less a letter and more of a postcard. It's simply 25 verses. And uh, as I've been preaching through this now in the second week, uh, Matt we were praying this morning, and Matt told me he said, "You picked a thick letter for your last few sermons, and, and he 's right uh, i 've thought about that throughout the week i 've thought why couldn 't Philippians be like twenty five verses? The Philippians would have been so much more enjoyable, but, uh, but Jude is thick and it is heavy, but it is good for us. God has preserved it in his word, so that you and I might come to it." and be helped, and be shaped like him. And so I'm going to today, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 5 through 16 in this little, little letter, and I'm going to be very, very general about a very specific subject. Uh, I could very easily today preach, I counted up, 21 points and uh, I don't want to do that, and you don't want me to do that. Uh, As I thought through these 21 points, I thought, man, here's some sermon titles that could could really support this, like 21 Gun Salute. Like, here I go. Just unload on y'all in the last couple of weeks. 21 Gun Salute. Or I thought about, you know, because it's dealing with false teachers, 21 Bunk Street. That was me just being corny and creative. But I figured if I preached all 21 verses or all 21 points, that by the time I was through, I figured that your title for my sermon might be different. Your title might be something like Forever 21. Um, That was an illustration for all the teenage girls in the room. Um, So what I've done is I've I've sought to condense these 21 points from 12 verses into three, into three subject headings, three categories that will help you recognize false teaching for what it is. That you will be equipped and ready to recognize it so that you might reject it in your personal life as you're listening to sermons and hearing things out there in culture, but also corporately as a faith family that you might recognize false teaching for what it is and reject it. So, if you will, follow along with me in uh, the book of Jude, this little letter, verses 5 through 16. Now, I want to remind you Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he, but, but he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire— serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people, speaking of the false teachers, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves... Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. they are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Now, I must confess to you, as I was preparing this this week, and I came across that little phrase, they're like waterless clouds. I was kind of hoping for some waterless clouds. Anybody else? And I also must confess to you that as I'm reading this and it talking about being kept in gloomy darkness as it rained for 10 straight days, it was very easy for me in my preparation to go Gloomy. And so, I'm going to do my best to present the truth of Scripture today without going completely gloomy and dark, because there is hope, and the hope is in the Word of God that points us to the man of God. And so, let's look at these. I, I the three categories today. False teaching. This is all to help us recognize false teaching. So, the first is this, that false teaching rejects the lordship of Christ, False teaching rejects the lordship of Christ, and the way Jude is going to do this is he's going to give these notorious examples throughout Jewish history, biblical history, and and then even history outside of the Bible. And then after he gives these notorious examples that they all would have known and would have not wanted to be like in any way, then he's going to bring this application home to the false teachers that that are beginning to show themselves in the churches that he's writing to. And so, these notorious examples here under they reject the Lordship of Christ, the first is uh, those people that God had rescued out of Egypt, the Israelites. He says there in verse 5, Jesus saved the people out of the land of Egypt, but afterward he destroyed those who did not believe. And what he's pointing to here is that that false teaching doesn't believe or trust God. This is how that they reject the lordship of Christ. It doesn't believe God. It doesn't believe that he's enough. You'll remember the story that when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, he had delivered them miraculously across the Red Sea, And and they were there in the wilderness, and they began to grumble and complain. And and Moses sent out these 12 spies into the land to see what the land was like, if, if there were, what kind of people lived there, what was the produce like. And he sent out these 12 spies, and they went into the land, and they came back. And when they came back, all of them, except for Caleb and Joshua, gave a negative report. They came back, and they, they came back carrying a cluster of grapes that they had to carry on poles. And they came back and saying, oh, man, it's, it's fruitful there. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's awesome, but the people there are giants. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. We can't go. We, we can't take this. This is just too hard for us. And we look back and we look, we say, the same God who delivered you out of Egypt through all of the different plagues and, and bringing you across the Red Sea. Now you look at a people because they're big and say, we just can't do this. But that's exactly what's going on. But, but Caleb, the words of Caleb and Joshua came forward to the people saying, no, 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 we can do this. In fact, their words in Numbers 13 and 14, the land which we pass through to spy it, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. They are passionately pleading here for their brothers to not shrink back in fear of their circumstances or of the people that they have witnessed, and instead to trust God and take what God has promised to give them. But instead, the false teaching doesn't believe God, and it doesn't trust Him. So, the people rebelled against God. They rejected His lordship, and they shrunk back in fear. Following Christ today, fast forward to 2019, following Christ requires belief. It requires trust on an everyday basis. If we're going to follow Him, it requires that we actually believe what He says is true. We must daily remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, that we are not dependent on our own goodness to to preserve ourselves for heaven, but instead His grace preserves us through the shed blood of Christ. And false teaching often seeks to explain the Bible away in ways that make sense according to our experience and our reasoning. And I'm not saying that, that Christianity is an unreasonable faith, that we just turn our brains off, but, but false teaching today seeks to explain everything away in a natural order. And it does away with the the godness of God. It tries to rescue Christianity from things like miracles and, and fanciful tales. But the reality is God won't be restrained by our limitations. He is who He is. And there are some things about God that we cannot explain away. And those are the things that we must admit, I don't know how, I can't understand it, but God's Word tells me it's true, and therefore I must believe it. False teaching says, no, you don't have to believe certain things because we can explain that away naturally. God's Word tells us to believe even what we cannot see. So that's the first way that they reject the Lordship of Christ. The second notorious example he gives there in verse 6, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. what this points to is that false teaching doesn't accept God-given positions, now, this is probably not. Immediately when you hear about the angels not staying in their, their position of authority given to them by God, you immediately think of, well, this is referring to the fall of Satan and all of the angels that he took with him. But that's probably not the case. We know really more about… There, there are places in Scripture that allude to the fall of Satan, but we really know more about uh, the fall of Satan from John Milton's Paradise Lost than we do from the actual Word of God. Rather, probably this is referring to the fallen angels there in Genesis 6. Genesis 6 tells us when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Now, I could get into weeds here and try to explain all of this, but I'm not going to because then it would be forever 21 again, right? And so, I'm not going to do that, but whether, whether it's the fall of Satan or these fallen angels there in Genesis 6 before God destroys the world by flood, whichever one it is, the point is that angels did not stay in the, the lane that God had given them. They, they chose to run outside of it. They chose to to take on something that was not theirs to take on. They rebelled against God. And this is what false teaching often does. It seeks to blur the lines that God has drawn. It seeks to to do away with things. And never in my lifetime, and probably many of yours, have we ever been in a day where the lines are being blurred more than they are today. I mean, it was only just a few years ago that that things like same-sex marriage were it was, it was on the horizon, it was out there, but it wasn't the law of the land, and today it's the law of the land. And false teaching seeks to blur the lines that God has drawn, and things like the, the roles that he has assigned to men and the roles that he has assigned to women. We live in the day of transgenderism and, and all of those things. And this is what false teaching does. It commits the same sin of the fallen angels that it, it seeks to blur the lines, to go, outside, to, stay, to, to go outside of where God has said, "This is where this is where I've designed you and created you to be." Which brings me to his third notorious example. in verse seven, he, he points to Sodom and Gomorrah that they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire. And I'm going to try to be <laughs> faithful here to the text without being sensitive to to little ears in the room. The third thing is is that if it it does not accept the lordship of Christ, and if it doesn't accept the God-given positions, the third thing is that it doesn't live by God's design. Here in verse 7, the words sexual immorality, that little phrase, refers to an episode in Genesis 19 where angels were sent to Abraham's nephew Lot to rescue him out of Sodom and when those angels came in and they went into Lot's house the men of the city came banging on the doors demanding that he send the men out that they might lie with them. And this is probably here what this is referring to. The, the phrase here in verse 7 unnatural desire speaks of it's, it's, you can't see it any other way it speaks of homosexuality. We know what the Bible has said here. And this is unpopular in this day for a pastor to, to preach and teach and take dogmatic lines. And I'm not taking dogmatic lines outside of God's Word. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Romans 1, 26 and 27, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. That women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another. The Bible is explicit here. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't hide anything. It's not creating any sort of uh, loophole here. False teaching teaches people to, to reject God's design and live however you want. And by using this example, Jude seems to be implying that the false teachers there in that day were in some way indulging in sexual immorality as well. We don't know if he's speaking here of Homosexuality, but in some way they are justifying sexual immorality and they're using grace. If you look back at verse 4, he said, they pervert the grace of, of our God into sensuality. And so this is going on. And false teaching rejects God's design and lives however it wants. And this is false teaching is, is often rooted in a z- desire to justify behavior that the Bible condemns. So, Jude gives these notorious examples here to illustrate that they reject the lordship of Christ, that they don't believe or trust God, that they don't accept God-given positions, and they, they they don't live according to God's design. And then he goes from that, and he's just used these notorious examples, but now he brings it home to the actual false teachers that are in their midst. And he wants them to recognize them. He is warning them so that they might see. And I won't spend a lot of time here. I'll just simply read again verses 8 through 10. Anytime in this, you see in, in these, these uh, 12 verses, he uses these three separate times. And it's in these three sections. These people, he's referring to those false teachers. Verse 8, yet in a like manner, these people, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. He tells this story here in the middle in verse 9 about, about Michael, the archangel, and how he was disputing over the body of Moses. And, and this, is not, this doesn't come from the Bible. Instead, he turns to extra-biblical literature, not to say that, that the book of First Enoch is, is on par with Scripture, but he knows that this is, this is something they would have been very familiar with, a story in their day. It would be like us telling a story about, um, you know, Forrest Gump or Chronicles of Narnia. This is what he's doing here. He takes this story, and he seeks to help them up, to understand this. Verse 10, these people blaspheme, and all, the, all that they don't understand, they just, they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. What he's pointing to is that they don't understand Scripture, maybe they don't agree with Scripture, but instead of, of submitting themselves and yielding themselves to God and placing themselves under God's Word, instead, they blaspheme it, and they reject it. And then they, they go and they, they run to what they understand instinctively, like animals. That there is no moral compass. There is no sense of right and wrong. Have we ever lived in a day where this is more true than today? Where people are saying it's, it's not right to say that anything's wrong. You think about the hypocrisy in that. This is, this is a mark of false teaching. They reject... The Lordship of Christ. The second mark or second category that I would give you today is that false teaching serves the self at the expense of the hearer. It serves self at the expense of its hearers. And again, in verses 11 through 13, he gives these notorious examples. He he points to some that you and I recognize. He says, They walk in the way of Cain. What he's pointing to here is what we know about Cain is that he murdered his own brother and he's pointing to that their false teaching does not offer hope it does not it does not bring life instead it commits homicide instead it doesn't tell people that look what you're involved in is sinful according to god but there is hope in the gospel of jesus christ but but you must turn from your sin and trust in him instead what it does is it it, it says things like i saw on a church sign in our community not too long back we reserve the right to love everyone which sounds good. We do love everyone, and we should love everyone, but the hidden message in that church sign was, it doesn't matter what you're doing in your life. You can live an LGBT lifestyle, and we want to welcome you here. We will not tell you anything is wrong with the way you're living. We'll simply preach love. And this is a dangerous, deadly position. The United Methodist Church, as we speak, are probably about to split and divide because they have rejected God's Word. There are some great and godly Methodist churches out there, but there there are some that have departed and they've rejected the the Word of God and they they serve the self at the expense of their hearers. They walk in the way of Cain. They, They commit spiritual homicide. What else would you call it if you allow someone to die in their sin because you don't want to offend them? It's spiritual homicide. It is not love. Acts 319 tells us, repent therefore that your sins may be blotted out. And in case you think that I'm only picking on issues of LGBT, I would, I would say the same thing about gossip or lying or, or alcoholism or, or any of those things. Those things that lead you away from God, that that blur the lines where God says this is wrong, we must be clear that God is right and we submit ourselves to him. They walk in the way of Cain. Verse 11, he also says, they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir. Now, Balaam, you know what? Balaam's donkey. Stood in the road, talked to him, right? Well, Balaam was notorious for being Israel's prophet for hire. That if whoever paid the most money, he would say really whatever you wanted him to say. In the same way, these false teachers in their midst are motivated by greed, teaching certain things because they know that by saying those things and teaching those things, it will draw listeners. But yet, considering some things that the Bible teaches out of bounds because it will alienate listeners. Verse 16, they show favoritism to gain advantage. They're motivated by greed. They abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. And then the third notorious example there in the second category, they perish in Korah's rebellion. Now, Korah was was there and, and he led a rebellion against Moses he's there and and he he begins to think, why is Moses elevated? Why does Moses get to be the leader? We all should should have equal rights. And he, he recruits 250 of his countrymen and he leads this revolt against Moses. And they go up and they say, who makes you leader of us? Maybe it's you that have exalted yourself. And Moses said, well, let's see. Let's see what God thinks. And in short, the story goes that God opens the ground and swallows 250 of Korah's rebellion, and they are no more. They perish in Korah's rebellion. The false teaching often fails to yield to God's appointed leaders. If a false teacher doesn't have a platform, he or she will create one, often manipulating those who are unsuspecting. If a false teacher has to go around the church leadership He or she will. But I want you to notice their end is certain. They walk in the way of Cain. Then, as they're walking in the way of Cain, they abandon themselves to Balaam's greed. And then before they know it, they perish in Korah's rebellion. And this is the way of those who manipulate their listeners in order to serve self. The application here he brings home to these false teachers in their midst in verses 12 and 13. And these are some of the most beautiful words in all of Jude to me. I love natural themes, and here he gives these natural themes. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They feast without fear. And what he's pointing to here is a reef that's hidden. A boat comes along, it's hidden, doesn't see it, and what does it do to the boat? It rips out the bottom of the boat and sinks the ship. And he compares these false teachers in their midst to, the, to a hidden reef. that They lie in wait, seeking to destroy what God is doing. He also there in verse 12 says that they are shepherds who feed themselves. Now, that's an oxymoron because shepherds are not to be feeding themselves. Obviously, they have to take care of themselves, put your own mask before, on you before you help others, right? But shepherds by very nature, by definition, are those who feed others. They watch out for, they, they take care of, they, they lead the sheep into, into green pastures. Those shepherds that neglect the sheep will let the, the sheep nu- chew the, the grass down to the nub to where they have nothing left to eat and they become malnourished. Sick and diseased and, and ultimately die. And he says here, that's what these these false teachers are. They're shepherds who are only feeding themselves. They're not watching out for you. He says there in verse 12, they are waterless clouds swept along by winds. And the main point here is that they, they don't deliver what they promise. They make all these grand claims and all these grand promises, but they don't deliver. Instead, they are simply swept away with the wind. Similar point there in the last of verse 12 when he says, they are like fruitless trees in late autumn. Now, in late autumn, that's when trees should be putting out fruit. And Jesus goes by the fig tree and he, and he winds up saying, he curses the fig tree because it had produced no fruit. This is what he's saying here. In a time when they should be putting out fruit, look. Look at them. Examine their, their teaching. Examine their lives. They are fruitless trees in late autumn. They don't, they don't deliver what they, they should. Verse 13, they are wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Isaiah 57 20 was probably in Jude's mind. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and it, it, its waters toss up mire and dirt. You ever been to the beach after a storm? And it has just churned up everything. And you go out there and the sun pops up. And you think, "Well, we're going to go to the beach. And you go down there and there's just all this trash. Seaweed and dead fish and everything there. And that's his point. It's like wild waves of the sea. They make a lot of noise. They, They put on a great show. But in the end, they really just display what's at the core of their being. And their wicked deeds come to the fore. And he says there in verse 13 that they are like wandering stars. They're unstable. They didn't understand all of, all of the solar system in those days. And, and they, they wrote from what they understood. And they would, would look to the skies and they would see the planets move and the stars move. And they, they just seemed to almost wander across the sky. And he said, this is what they're like. They seem to be all over the place. They have no substance. They're they, they unstable in what they do. False teaching serves the self at the expense of the hearer. And then the third and, and final category for you today is that false teaching denies the coming judgment. False teaching denies the coming judgment. He gives these notorious examples again in verses 14 through 16. Uh, And and his point there with this notorious example is that uh, the the ungodly, he refused to see their ungodliness. They just rejected. They they look at themselves and say, nope, not ungodly at all. I'll determine what's right for me. We see this in verses 14 and 15. And, and, And hear how awkward it is, the repetition of the word ungodly. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And his point there is he's, he's referring to false teachers before he brings it home and applies it to those in their midst. He says, their life. They're not living by. They're not living by God's Word. They're not looking to His judgment. I don't know if I told you this a minute ago, but the third category. Did I tell you that? I did. Sorry. False teaching denies the coming judgment. And that's what they're doing. They live in such a way that they live for this day and this day only, and they don't look past this day. And they live in such an ungodly way and they they fail to see, they refuse to look at their ungodliness because they think that nothing will ever come of it, that there's no judgment coming. Let us eat and drink, for one day we die, that's it. And they reject the thought that there is judgment coming. The application he brings home in verse 16 to these false teachers in their midst, in the churches that Jude's writing to, and he says that they presume on God's grace. They refuse to see their ungodliness, and they presume on God's grace. They grumble, he says there. They're not necessarily grumbling about the leaders in the church or, or this or that. They're grumbling against God, They're murmuring against him, and the reason we know this is because the same word is used in Exodus 16 where the Israelites got tired of manna. All this manna, all the time. And God was providing for their need, but they grumbled against him. And that's what's going on here with these false teachers. Perhaps someone in the congregation said, came to them and said, but I thought Jesus taught and they would grumble against God and say, no, 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 that was for a different day. Are you kidding me? That's an antiquated view of God. They grumble against him. They are malcontents, he says. Their dissatisfaction doesn't stay at dissatisfaction. It leads them to rebel, to rebellion. They follow their own sinful desires. They're loud-mouthed boasters. This is arrogant speech on their behalf about or toward God. They show favoritism to gain advantage. In other words, they live as if today is all that there is. They deny the coming judgment. They live in such a way that they say, no, 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 I I know what Revelation says, but there is no coming judgment. God is love, and in the end, love wins, and there will be no hell. And this is what false teaching says. But make no mistake. I don't mean this to sound like a hateful sermon. I just want this to be a warning. Warning from God's Word to let you hear it today. Make no mistake, they can deny the coming judgment all that they want. But all throughout these verses that we've read, judgment is sure. In verse 5, the unbelieving Israelites were destroyed in the wilderness. In verse 6, the rebellious angels are kept in gloomy darkness, an Im- imagery there for the judgment of the great day. In verse 7, the sexually immoral living in Sodom and Gomorrah were per- punished by eternal fire. In verse 10, those who blaspheme God's Word are destroyed by all that they understand I- instinctively. Again, that word, destroyed. I pointed out to you there in verse 11 that they walk in the way of Cain. They abandon themselves to Balaam's error; They perish in Korah's rebellion. In verse 12, like fruitless trees, they will be uprooted in the end. Like wandering stars, utter darkness is reserved for them forever in verse 13. You see, the message of Jude throughout has been to remind them that all of this false teaching may sound good for a day. It may help you to feel good in whatever you want to do, but make no mistake about it. God is a God of justice. If God is not a God of justice, then why did Jesus come? Why would he sacrifice his own son? Why would he take his own son and nail him to a tree if he were not a God of justice? Seems like an awful way to show your love for people. If all you are is love and there is no judgment in you, then why do you kill your son? He killed his son because he is a merciful, just judge. And he looked on our sin and he realized that our sin deserved the wrath, the eternal wrath for rebellion against him that would last forever forever. And instead of allowing you and I to to suffer that wrath that he sent his son to live in our place, he lived a life that we could not live. And then even though he had no sin of his own, they took him to a cross and they nailed him to it. And he died there. And, And the Old Testament Scripture said, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, and cursed he was. But not cursed because of his own sin, he was cursed because of my sin and yours. God is a God of love, yes, but God is a God of justice. And for those who reject the good news of the gospel, of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, there will come a day of judgment. He will not in that day simply sweep you under the rug and say, oh, he meant better. Oh, she surely didn't mean to reject me. Knowing that day, he will be as just as any judge you have ever seen in this life. And he will punish every sin that is not found under the blood of Christ. The application for you and I today, the point that we take away from Jude, these verses five through 16, is that false teaching is deadly serious. It is, it is deadly serious it is self-serving, it is destructive, it is empty, it is unhelpful. It leads to certain judgment. And, and the point that I, in, in my next to last sermon with you, would love to get across is to reject it. Recognize it for what it is and to reject it. Reject it in your daily life as as you read books from this author and that. Learn to, to know the Word of God so that you can run everything through the lens, the filter of Scripture. Recognize it for what it is. Avoid it. Reject it. The second point that I think that you and I can take away from this is there are these little application points that we learn from the, 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 the sin of the false teachers, their, their, their individual, individual choices. That like the angels, I, I pray that the application for us would be that we would not reject God's authority, but instead that we would submit to God. That unlike the Israelites, that we would believe Him, that we would trust Him as we walk through this life. That we would accept our God-given position. That we would live by God's design. Not in our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit that lives within us. Listen, I read one commentator, and it's worth repeating to you. Predisposition to a particular struggle does not excuse the sin. You hear me? Predisposition to a particular struggle does not excuse the sin. This is what we're hearing today: is that well, I can't help it. This is just who I am. This is how God has made me. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. God has not made you to live in sin. God has made you to live in holiness. And the Bible teaches that the gospel of Jesus Christ offers power for us to say no to the predispositions. I get it. The predisposition, to struggle, is real. There are people that are sitting in this very room and you struggle with same-sex attraction. I know that. But it doesn't have to own you. I've been very transparent about my struggle with food and sugar and all those things. And there are seasons when I'm, I'm doing well and I'm defeating this thing. And there are other seasons when I'm, it's getting the better of me. And I would say to you that, that if, if I were to, to just lay down to that and just say, huh, I'm, just, I'm just predisposed to that, bring on the sugar. You know, I have avoided the bluebell aisle Isle for, for a couple of years now. It's because that's powerful stuff, right? If I just gave over to that, I'd be your 400-pound preacher. That's more humorous than you, it should have been. You're you're not meant to give in to the things that you are tempted toward. You are meant by the power of the gospel to withstand. To be holy. To say, God is holy, therefore I want to be holy. I I don't have to do it in order to, to earn his affection for me. I am accepted in Christ. But now that I have been accepted, I will not. I will not lay down to it. I'll live in the power that he gives. Keep watch on your sin Serve others within the flock. Don't presume on his grace because judgment is indeed coming. Recognize false teachers for what they are. False teaching for what it is. And reject it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your spirit and your word. And God, those are the things that I pray now would remain. And by your wisdom and by your power, that you would take the truth of your word and bring it home to the hearts of your people. Lord, that you would bring conviction that would lead to repentance. God, that you would grant repentance and faith in this place. And God, that you would do so so that the person might be saved and that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what's been said and respond. Perhaps you would like to come and pray. This steps are open for, for you to come and do that. We'd love for, for you to come and, and do that. Perhaps there's a, a season of confession that needs to take place, maybe between you and God right where you are, or maybe to a pastor, or maybe to a brother or sister who's around you. The Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another, and so I would implore you to do that. Maybe there's a need just to just to cry out to God for his strength and, and for him to grant repentance in some particular area of your life. Maybe today you're here and you don't know Jesus as Savior, but today you realize the judgment is coming and that he has paid your debt and you want to receive him as your hope of salvation. Then I would love to talk with you. There are people scattered all through this room that are believers that would love to have a conversation with you to point you toward him. However, God leads you, you respond. I'll be on the front row if you need me, but let's respond in obedience to Him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.